Well, I may be about to preach a sermon, but I think we just saw the most beautiful sermon of someone living up to their baptismal promises uh, immediately after. I'm so grateful for Funbi welcoming Grace into our family of faith. I'm grateful to be here with you, and when I saw that my preaching text this morning was just two verses, I thought, yes, this is great, it's going to be succinct, focused. And then I read which two verses it would be and realized that this is um, some of the densest, most packed theological work that Paul has to offer us. Um, We could probably do a four to six week series just on these two verses, Um, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I think that might not be good. Uh, So I am going to really focus on what Paul has to say about our bodies. And so as we prepare to hear the scripture read, I invite you to Join me in prayer. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, thank you for these living words. Though thousands of years old, they still speak to us today. We ask, O Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon each one of us here, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So in his letter to the Romans, starting at chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, my siblings, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Malala Yousafzai was the youngest, is the youngest ever recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. She was born in 1997 in Pakistan, the daughter of a Muslim poet school owner, and activist. In 2008, when she was just 11 years old, the age of many of our confirmants, she spoke to a local press club. How dare the Taliban take away my basic right to education, she asked. At that time, the Taliban's influence in Pakistan was growing. They banned television, they banned music, and they banned girls' education. The BBC was looking for a unique way to report about what was going on, and so they sought a schoolgirl to act as a blogger. Few parents felt safe enough to let their daughters do it, but Malala, a seventh grader, volunteered to write anonymously. Her writing was honest and fierce, describing the dwindling numbers of girls coming to school due to the Taliban's rules. The Taliban then moved on to attack and destroy schools in the area, prompting Malala to critique the response of the Pakistani military. It seems, she wrote, that it is only when dozens of schools have been destroyed and hundreds of others closed down that the military thinks about protecting them. Had they conducted their operations here properly, this situation would not have arisen. Remember, she's 11 years old. Over the next few years, Malala continued her activism, 
She was the subject of a New York Times documentary and began appearing on television to speak out in favor of girls' right to education. In 2011, she received Pakistan's first ever National Youth Peace Prize. As her public profile grew, she began to receive death threats from those who felt that girls and women should not be educated. These threats did not deter her, and in October of 2012, when she was 15, a masked gunman stopped her bus as it took her and a dozen other students home from school. Which one of you is Malala? the gunman demanded. No one said anything, but a few girls looked in her direction. The man fired three shots and ran away. Paramedics rushed her to the hospital where she spent over a week in a coma, and she was then flown to England for intensive care. Despite her injuries, she made a slow and steady recovery, and after three months, she was discharged for rehabilitation. Less than a year after being shot, Malala continued speaking out, not just against the Taliban, but now against the Obama administration's use of drones in Pakistan. Innocent people are killed in these acts, she wrote, and they lead to resentment among the Pakistani people. If we refocus efforts on education, it will make a big impact. In the years since, Malala has authored a book, been the subject of a major documentary, and received countless other awards for her activism. And this all stemmed from where she chose to place her body, in a classroom and on a bus. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Maybe you've heard people say that you can tell what's important to someone by looking at their checkbook, or perhaps these days their credit or debit card statements. You can learn even more by paying attention to where they put their bodies when they have the choice. Malala put her body in harm's way to call attention to the injustice going on in her community. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he urges them to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, a living sacrifice might be hard to imagine. My mind goes to that scene from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, but I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. I appreciate how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. It's that walking around life that I'm interested in today. When you're not sleeping or working or at school, where do you find yourself? In those moments when you truly have a choice about where to put your body, where is it? Where do you end up on a day off from work or school? Where is your body in the evenings? Where do you find yourself on the weekends? Amy wrapped up our series on Joseph and his brothers last week, but my mind keeps going back to where he chose to put his body. In prison for a crime he didn't commit, he was summoned by Pharaoh, 
the ruler of this unjust society that had taken everything away from him. He was having troubling, perplexing dreams, and no one could tell him what they meant. No one except for Joseph. Now, Joseph could have denied this request, leaning into the bitterness he surely felt. He could have lied, said he had no idea how to interpret dreams. Why should he help some despot get better sleep at night? Perhaps you might think of Malala helping out a member of the Taliban. But instead of rejecting this request, Joseph shaved, put on fresh clothes, and met Pharaoh. He put his body in a place where God could use him as an instrument of hope. And in so doing, he saved many lives. With God's help, Joseph realized that Pharaoh's dreams were a warning. A near global famine was on the horizon. Joseph came up with a plan to stockpile grain for the lean years ahead. He was able to tap into that strange alchemy by which God transforms despair into possibility. Without knowing it, he also created a haven for his own family, the Jewish people, who would find safety and sanctuary in Egypt for generations to come. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Today, our bodies are here, in person or online, of all the things we could be doing today, of all the places we could be right now, we are here together. Why is that? What drew you to this place, and what draws you back? Perhaps it's the renewing of your mind that Paul talked about. Through song, through prayer, through reflection, we're comforted, encouraged, and challenged to live different lives. But for Paul, worship is not just an intellectual activity. Instead, explains Pastor Elizabeth Shively, worship is full-bodied. It happens in the community we live out our faith by serving one another. And the quality of our worship is not measured by what happens on Sunday, but by what we do together on Monday through Saturday. It matters where we put our bodies, but this isn't a sermon about the importance of coming to church. This is a sermon about the importance of being the church wherever we find ourselves. The truth is, our bodies aren't meant to be in a church. They're meant to be out there in the world, reflecting God's light, making sure the hungry are fed, standing up for everyone's right to an education, seeking justice for those on the margins of society. That's where Jesus chose to put his body, with the hungry and the hurting, with the outcasts and sinners, with the lost and the least and the lonely. We are part of a worshiping community. We've all chosen to be together in this moment, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to connect with God and with each other in a way that strengthens us for the week to come. But our worship doesn't end at the benediction. 
It doesn't stop when the postlude finishes or when we log off of the live stream or when we get in our cars to go home. It continues when you bring a meal to a family that's struggling with health issues, when you pray with a friend whose relationship is in trouble, when you sit with a new kid in the cafeteria, when you listen to your child's struggles without trying to fix it, when you visit your therapist and ask for help, when you show up to be a volunteer or a tutor in a school, when you put down your phone and start a conversation, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. One of the most delightful surprises for me this summer has been the Barbie movie. It's this perfect blend of funny, weird, clever, and profound that just checks all the boxes for me. In this film, Barbie lives in Barbie land, a perfect world where Barbies can be diplomats, lawyers, physicists, mermaids, authors, Supreme Court justices, anything they want. They can be all dolled up, just playing chess by the pool. Margot Robbie plays stereotypical Barbie, who throughout the film grows increasingly restless with the perfection of her world. She brings a dance party to a screeching halt by asking a room full of shiny, happy Barbies, do you guys ever think about death? She ultimately goes on to a quest, a quest to our world, the real world, where she meets Ruth Handler, the original designer of the Barbie doll. I'm telling you, this movie is captivatingly strange. Barbie expresses her desire to become human, to have a real life. And Ruth cautions her that real life involves pain as well as joy. She takes Barbie's hands and allows her to feel an intoxicating rainbow of human emotion for the very first time. Now, it's not lost on me that Barbie must travel outside her comfort zone to meet her creator. The same is true for us. Her choice is one we all face. Spend time in our safe, cozy bubble or venture out into the real world. Maintain our predictable, orderly lives or try something new and risk upending it all. Live for ourselves, prioritizing our own comfort and security, or follow Jesus into the world, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, seeking the well-being of others, even at the risk of our own. This is our sacred calling. So where will you put your body this week? Amen.